You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, I'm Evan. I'm one of your senior pastors here, and uh, it really is great in the middle of the summer to see that you've come to join us today in the room. And uh, we're going to be um, diving into Romans chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can go there. Uh, before we get into it, I do want to mention our kids had an art camp and an art show this past week here at the church. And so on your way out, um, you can check out some of that art on the walls and on some tables in the atrium and see what our kids put together. It's pretty cool. Romans chapter 5, and uh, in just a minute, we're going to be in verse 6. Uh, as we continue our walk through Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, this church that had both Gentiles and Jews, and the Jews and the Gentiles were coming back together after a time apart, and it was creating tension. You don't know anything about that, right? Coming back together after a time apart and finding that there's tension. Um, of course, there's, there's always tension anytime you get humans together in a room, whether that's around your dinner table at the holidays or here in this room. And so Paul's words to the Roman church are actually the words to us as well today as he really takes us back to the basics of what it is to understand the power and the force of the gospel of Jesus. You know, I think um, in our day, after hundreds and hundreds of years of church being a thing, and uh, for those of us who maybe have been in places like this room for a lot of years, we can kind of get numb to the weight and the power of the gospel and the story of Jesus. To where, even today, as I share parts of how Paul described what Jesus has done for us, you might think, yeah, that sounds fine. That's reasonable. That's manageable. That fits nicely into a portion of my mind and my thoughts and my week. That's okay. And we'll move on unchanged. But you see, Paul had this other understanding as everything was so fresh in his day about what Jesus came to do and what Jesus actually accomplished so much so that everywhere Paul went, there were riots. Uh, New Testament theologian N.T. Wright says, wherever Paul went, there were riots and wherever I go, they serve tea. Things have changed a bit. Things have tamed a bit. When we consider the gospel, it's rarely in terms of how scandalous and how dangerous and how radical this message is. For many of us, the gospel is just a piece of our culture and identity, but no more. And so Paul invites us today to re-examine the gospel and to understand it as the dangerous life-changing thing that it was when we consider that him and Jesus and Peter and on and on the list goes of those that would lose their lives for this gospel, we understand this was a dangerous thing. I saw in the news this week um, that there's this lake in Minnesota where I guess it's a common practice. People put their goldfish from home when they become too unruly. I don't know why you'd want to get rid of a goldfish this way, but they put them in the lake. They just turn them over to the lake. And uh, that seems like an innocent enough thing to do when you don't want your goldfish anymore. Um, but this is what happens after a few generations of these goldfish having this large lake to propagate in. Can we see the picture of that? This is what happens to the goldfish. Yeah, it's shocking, right? <laughs> uh, that'll haunt your dreams for a while. Um, the, the interesting thing about these, these pet goldfish is there's no difference in their, their species from these monster fish that actually adapt to their environment. So if you put them in a, a nice little contained 
bowl on your desk or your dining room table. They stay small and docile and tame. You release them into the wild where they have room and they become this scandalous, dangerous creature. <laughs> and here's the thing about when we, when we consider the work of Christ on the cross and what he has done to bring together those who were, were rebelling against him, enemies with God, enemies with uh, each other, consumed by sin underneath the, the, the covering and the reign of death, Paul would say, when he came and he crossed the, that incredible divide that separated us from himself and he, at the cost of his own life, bought us back so that we could have a seat at the table and experience life that overcomes death. What he is doing is, is Paul is saying, come on, let the gospel go into a larger space. Let the gospel be released into the wild. Um, what I don't want to practice in my life, we get one time, right? One shot here. I don't want to waste my life with a gospel that's contained in a glass on the desk where it's tame and docile and has all the interest and appeal of a saltine cracker. Come on, Paul would give his life for this. Jesus would spend himself and on his disciples to, to drive this point home that there is nothing greater. There is nothing more forceful. There's nothing more powerful in the gospel of Jesus. And when let out into the wild, into our real lives, into our real city, into the places that we actually live outside of this room, the gospel becomes something that we may not even recognize in its force and its power. And so I want to invite you to uh, re-examine this today, even as we have been these past few weeks. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Paul says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, last week, Pastor Steve talked about being justified, what that, that means, that, that we've been cleared by Jesus' sacrifice. Now, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, Jesus? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. At the heart of Paul's presentation of the gospel is this idea of reconciliation, that we are, can be made right where we've gone wrong with God. But Paul, especially as he's talking to this divided church in the city of Rome, he says, listen, the gospel has more to do. The job's not quite done when you've been reconciled to God. It also has a great work to do in reconciling you to each other. And the same way that God turned you who were an enemy into a friend with himself is the way that now he's going to turn you who are enemies with each other into friends. Sounds easy, right? Think of all the people in the world that you disagree with the most. Now think of a barbecue with them at it, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is where it gets real. I mean, we can theoretically think, oh, this is lovely. This is beautiful. Wow, the work of reconciliation. That sounds great. And now get me back around all the people that only agree with me. Because this is hard work. 
the Olympics are starting this week. No fans of sports in the room. Okay, I get you. I get you. No. Anybody fans of the Olympics? Yeah? Okay. All right. There we go. All right. Favorite Olympian. Go. Shout it out. Favorite Olympian of all time. Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. Classic choice. Classic choice. Anybody going back to the 80s? Come on. Let me hear an 80s Olympian. Madeline Manning Mims, who was a, I'm not going to get it, track star. All right. Track and field fans here? Uh, basketball, Team USA. <laughs> yes. I don't know who said that, but that was probably the most vocal response I've ever gotten from you, sir. That's all. That's great. Um, so the, Olymp the Olympics are starting in Tokyo this, this week, and what you'll find is that these athletes make it look easy, right? We're going to watch them on, on TV or, or streaming or whatever, and we're going to say, oh man, look at that. They, they are so graceful, and they make it look easy. And if I stuck you on a plane and sent you to Tokyo and, and had you compete in their spot, you would find out very quickly, it is not easy, Right? They make it look easy. And here's the thing about the gospel. Sometimes the gospel makes it look easy. That overcoming our sin is, is a nice thing, but kind of an easy thing. And Paul is, is going to tell us today, listen, this is no easy feat that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Uh, a, a few weeks ago or months ago, we were in Phoenix and we drove up to the Grand Canyon, took the, the kids to the Grand Canyon. And I'll tell you what, it's the first time I went to the Grand Canyon. It is a different experience seeing it in a photo than when you stand on the edge and you look into the abyss of the canyon. And here's what Paul is saying. L listen, you might have heard about kind of the effects of sin. I want you to take a good long look at what sin has done in the world around us and understand just how great a chasm needs to be crossed. Because when we talk about the gospel and what Jesus done, it is no small thing. And to minimize sin, see, here's what happens. We minimize sin and we goldfish size sin and what we don't realize we're doing is we're actually minimizing the grace of God that, that actually is much greater than we give it credit for. And Paul is saying, let's talk about sin. Why? So you can feel terrible about yourselves. No. So you can understand the great lengths that Jesus has gone to to bring you back. So do I have hope today? Yeah, I have hope. What, hope for my own salvation? Yeah, I do. Hope that when I die, I'll be with, with God. Yeah, I have hope for that. But do I have hope that in this moment in our history, in our community, we can be reconciled to each other? That enemies can become friends. That divisions can be mended. That reconciliation can happen, not just between us and God, but us and each other. I have hope today. I have hope today. And I can imagine the, the scene that, that Paul is seeing when he visits the church in Rome. That, that you have the, these Jewish believers who feel like they were here first. You know, they have the edge because they're, they're circumcised and they've been following God's laws. And, and now Jesus is a nice, like, next step for them. And they're looking over here at these Gentiles who are new to the party. And they're saying, yikes. These guys just came out of pagan worship. Who do they think they are here worshiping with us. So over here, you know, you have the, the team Jews and over here you have team Gentiles. And today we're the same. The, the labels might change. You know, over here we have team left. Over here we have team right. Over there we have, you know, team 
basketball over here. We have team track and field. And we get deeper and the divisions actually get very, very serious to the point where maybe I look at you differently now and I say, I don't know if I want to worship in the same room as you because I know what you think and I know how you see the world and I don't see how we can come together on this. And what Paul says to them is what Paul says to us. You're dividing up into teams, but there's actually a team that you all belong to. And check this out, Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. And then verse 15, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. So what he is saying is, listen, you think you're on team so-and-so, team this, team left, team right, team this political view, team this uh, opinion about the world today. You are all on team Adam. You are all sinners. And some of you hear that and you're like, thank you, Evan, for speaking to the sinners out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad someone is speaking up. She needs to hear that. Cool. Finally, <laughs> Scott Saul's, uh, I, I read this quote, I thought it was beautiful. If reading the Bible causes me to scrutinize others more than I scrutinize myself, then I'm not reading the Bible correctly. <laughs> so wouldn't it be nice if all those sinners out there would be reconciled to each other and to me and to God? Come on, we're all on team Adam. We've all been infected by the sin that started so long ago and we all walk in it together and so we are all in need of a great forceful work of grace. Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people, you, me, and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so it's this sin, this, this root that exists in our hearts um, that James would later tell us is, is actually the root of all fighting and, and quarrels and, and arguments. James 4.1, what is the causing these quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? What he's saying, what Paul's saying today is you think all the problems are out there. You think if you could solve out there, then everything would be well. The problem is actually in here. The problem is in here. And maybe we don't talk about this enough. And I know why we don't talk about it a lot. I mean, it's kind of a downer. <laughs> you come out to church on a, on a nice Sunday in the middle of the summer. The smoke is clear. It's a beautiful day. And it's like, hey, who's ready to talk about sin? That's not a lot of fun. You know, we have this sign uh, out in our, our driveway as you exit the building. It's to remind you that God loves you as you, as you leave church. And, and we'll see this picture here of this sign, maybe you didn't even notice it, um, but it says, remember, God loves you. Isn't that nice? The flowers, it's beautiful. Um, and that's really the message over and over we, wanna, we want you to hear. You, you get beat up enough outside that when you come here, we hope that you feel the love of God. But you know, in accordance with what we're learning about today in, in Romans, um, we thought about changing it and we did a mock-up of what we could change it to here, you know, Uh -huh. 
Maybe, maybe a couple more years, we'll get there. <laughs> it's rarely out there, the, the, the real problems and the real threat and the real danger to you and your life and your family. It's re- rarely the external problems that are really threatening. Where the real threat is, is actually the sin that lives in here. And I think, you know, a lot of uh, religious places over the centuries and even churches would stop there, make you feel real bad. And then we'd end the service with something like, do better. Stop it. Quit it. Sinner. And we would hope that there'd be so much conviction maybe that, that you would stop. That the desires, desires that are at war within you would suddenly go away and that you'd get better. But that's not where Paul leaves it. And I don't want to leave it there either. Because Paul is confident, yes, in the weight of sin, but more so in the weight of grace. And if you've ever viewed grace as some kind of cop-out, some kind of passive acceptance of, of the reality that sin is no big deal, Paul would push pretty forcefully against that. Because Paul knew just how deep and devastating and deadly sin really was. In fact, as he gets later and later in his ministry and life and his letters, you start to see this theme of where he's, he's realizing how great of a sinner he is and how deep the sin has gone in his own life. He says this in Romans 7. He says, for my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and make me a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul was not soft on sin. Rather, Paul was so confident in an overwhelming, deep work of grace that was bought at such a great price that he wanted to show off sin in all its deadliness, in all of its lethalness, in all of its dangers, so that he could make the point convincingly that the grace of God poured out through Christ on the cross was enough and more. Enough and more. Enough and more. So maybe I am the problem. Maybe it is on the inside of me. And so maybe what I I, I need today is not just to try harder, is not just to do better, is not just to to be more religious or, or, or more conscientious or, or more mindful, maybe that will fall short and I need a work that is altogether outside of me, altogether otherworldly, something to cross this great chasm in my own soul, in my own heart. And maybe what I need and maybe what you need too today is a confidence that his grace is enough and more, not for your goldfish in a bowl-sized sin, but for all of it. Is it enough to bring us back together in right relationship and standing with God? Is it enough to make enemies friends in this room? I think it is. And so we're, we're gonna take communion today together as a reminder of this work of reconciliation that his grace is good enough and big enough and strong enough to to accomplish, to pull off. As you came in, you, you 
probably grab the cup and the, the bread. There's more at the doors. If you need to grab one now, you can stand up and grab those. That's fine. And we're going to hold it just for a second as Ben leads us in a song and then we'll take it together. But I, I, I want us to remember as we do this today, and I know it's, it's part of our tradition and part of our routine in a way, but in this moment, what we're doing is actually we're, we're spiritually, we're gathering around a table and we're not gathering because we went around and we filled out surveys and we realized that we all agree on everything. You know, there was no test that, that confirmed that you're, you're able to walk through these doors because your belief system aligns perfectly with mine. Your worldview is my worldview. We don't gather because we all have a shared history or a common ancestry. We don't gather because we always agree or we grew up on the same street. We gather because God was so rich in mercy. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was so rich in mercy that when we were separated from him and each other, when we were alienated from God and alienated from each other, when we were the enemies of God and the enemies to each other, God in his great mercy said, I'm going to create from the ruins of this division and divisiveness, I'm going to create a new community, a new humanity, not tied together because they all share the same ideas and opinions, but tied together because they all come to the same table at the foot of the cross. So as we hold these elements, um, I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to sing, sing a hymn. And I'm going to come up and lead us in taking these elements. But today, Jesus, uh, we are here, even connected with those far away, here in the room. We are here to come around the table at the foot of the cross. And just like those Gentiles and those Jews in that Roman church so long ago had to lay that down so that they could take hold of Christ, we do the same. We lay down what we have felt so passionately makes us who we are and we take hold of the identity of Jesus. Yeah, sure. 
Romans 3, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did this by Jesus Christ. And so today, as we take the bread, we receive the broken body of Jesus that accomplished what we could not. And today, as we hold the cup, we are reminded of his blood that was shed for us, not only for our salvation, but so that we could stand once enemies now made friends by his blood and his sacrifice. Let's take the cup together. And so Jesus, with great hope, we have come to this table. We've come into this gathering to allow you to do what you set out to do in our hearts so long ago to bring us back together. And Jesus, would you, um, would you allow this work to flow out of this place, overflow out of this place into the wild where it can do its best work, where it can, it can grow to its, its fullest and, and transform not only our lives and our piece of the world, but the world at large. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the sacrifice you made. We thank you for your grace. Grace, that is enough. May we go in that grace today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. amen.